So you guys, as, as far as introduction, we are making our way through the book of Romans, and we are, we've made it all the way through all of the you know, doctrinal type stuff of the first 11 chapters. We've hammered through each and every one of those things, uh, and now we are in this section where he just is applying everything that he talked about previously, and, he, and Paul's kind of known for that in a lot of his letters. That's what he likes to do. And so here we are right in the middle of this massive thought that kind of began in chapter 12. And we've been digging through all of this. And what did we look at last week? We talked about the fact that Paul was telling us, God was telling all of us, that we are to owe no one anything except love. There's no other thing that we owe anyone in this world. We don't owe them greed. We don't owe them uh, revenge. We don't owe them anger. We don't owe them anything. All that was paid for on the cross for your sake and for mine. That's all done. We don't owe anybody anything except to love, and that is regardless of what they're paying you. If they keep giving you Chinese money, you keep giving them back American dollars. You get it? No? You don't get it? I don't know what Chinese money is. The mark? I don't know. I'll, go, I'll stick with what I know. I lived in Japan for four years. If they keep giving you Japanese yen, which in this particular case will say equals uh, frustration and hatred. <laughs> this is a bad analogy. This is falling apart quickly. Ah, oh, geez. If they keep paying you in hate, you pay them back in love. How's that? We'll lose the analogy. <laughs> oh, all my friends in Japan right now are like, what are you saying, dude? Listen, we learned last week that love has to look like something too, doesn't it? It has a look. It's, it's not just, you know, flower power. It's not just the hippie movement, right? It's not just like, man, I love you. I love you, bro. I totally love you. You just do whatever you want. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's not what it is. No, it looks like something. What does it look like for us? It looks like not looking like the rest of the world. It looks like putting off revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust. Those are the things that he brought up. And we talked about the fact that last week, you guys, we looked at the fact that lust itself in this context, in the Greek, actually didn't just speak something specific to sexuality or to sexual things. It actually spoke to this idea of having zero shame in your sin, having zero shame in what you're doing. And before you came to the Lord, for those of you that are here today that are Christians, did you have shame in what you were doing? Probably not. You may have had a concern that legally you were going to get in trouble. I had that, right? If I got caught smoking weed, that might have meant something for me, and it was more than just trouble with my parents, right? But, but I didn't have a real sense of shame about it. As a matter of fact, I celebrated it. We were all like, yeah, man, let's do this. <laughs> we got Doritos. Yeah. It's ridiculous. We had no sense of shame about it. But as you come to the Lord, the Lord begins to work that out in you. And Paul tells us here, man, what does it look like to love someone well? Put off that garbage. Put it off. Let the Holy Spirit take it away. That's a process, isn't it? It's not something that's easily done. Man, I admit there are those testimonies you hear, and I'm sure you guys know, and maybe some of you guys have this testimony where the day you came to the Lord, everything, like most of the major sins that you had just fell away and they went away. Anybody like that? Anybody have that testimony? Not one, one person? I see it. Good. I didn't have that testimony. I wish I did. Right, But you, ha you hear about those people that, man, they come to the Lord and like suddenly everything just falls off and they're just like, man, they're just walking in this sense of, of freedom and, and, and newness. But the reality is for most of us is that we've got to work on a lot of that stuff. And guess what? Even for those people that stuff fell off, that was because God had other bigger things that he had to deal with too, <laughs> that he had to get past a lot of the other stuff that was easy to get to the harder stuff, right? So none of us are ever done. We're never done baking, guys. We're stuck in the easy bake oven until the day we die here on this earth. Yay. You guys awake? Yeah. Okay. So the fact is, you guys, as a Christian, we're not allowed to look at our unbiblical behavior and say, that's ah, no big deal. Everybody else in the world does it. No. To love people well out in this world, we need to take that stuff seriously. We need to take it seriously. And today we're going to start looking at this section of the book that deals very specifically, you guys, I need you to hear this specifically with those that are within the church. So all that we're talking about today is literally dealing with this, Christian to Christian. So I'm not even going to say within the church because there is, I hope anyway, some people here today that don't know the Lord yet. Why? Because if we're just a church full of Christians, that's awesome. 
But that means somehow we're failing in their mission because we're supposed to be bringing people in, right? We're supposed to be bringing people to a place where they're like, man, I want you to know about this guy named Jesus. And we don't need to be in the church to do that, by the way. But typically that's what happens here in America. We bring people to church. And so the fact is, man, I'm, I'm, if you're here today, you're not a believer yet, you don't know who Jesus is, well then hear what I'm saying to you. Hear what's being spoken to you because I'm praying that you, you don't stay where you are. And we're gonna talk about that today. But the fact is, is what Paul's speaking of here is very specific to those that know Jesus Christ. And we're going to, you'll see why that's so abundantly clear. But I need us to be reminded of that constantly as we dig through these verses. Why? Because a lot of people take this section of scripture and they twist it. They misquote it. See, the Bible says not to judge. (laughs) It does. Let's keep the context. It's talking about not judging those that are knowing the Lord. Now, what does that mean for the people outside? We're going to talk about that. It doesn't mean judge them either. But it's, it looks differently. It speaks differently to things. And so we'll talk about that. But here's the deal. You guys remember last week looking at Randy? Poor Randy in the snowsuit. Everybody loves that movie, right? If you don't love the Christmas story, I don't know if you know Jesus. <laughs> Poor Randy, man. You guys know the part of the story, right? He couldn't put his arms down. Why? Because his mom put 700 layers of clothes on him to keep him warm. And so he just ran around like, I can't put my arms down. Uh, wait up, guys. I can't keep up. And then he'd fall flat in his face. He's like, I can't get up. You guys remember that? Today in our story, he's the weak brother. <laughs> That's what I want you to think whenever we read that Paul's talking about, hey, man, receive the one who is weak in the faith. Think of Randy in the snowsuit. Who's the weak brother? The one that's struggling to keep up. Why are people weak in the faith? Well, there's a couple reasons, man. You got your old clothes under the new one. We talked about that last week, right? We're supposed to put off these old clothes of all of our sin and all of our junk and all of our muck and mire. And the American church loves to be like, but I kind of like this jacket. I love this pornography jacket. It's amazing. I like this gossip pair of pants. Doesn't it make me look great? Right? These shoes, these shoes that are quick to run to what is evil, I like them. And then Jesus comes in. He's like, hey, man, put on new robes. Put on new shoes. Put on them. And we're like, we're going to keep the old ones and put the new ones on over it. And then you look like Randy. You look like a freak. And a lot of times that's one of the reasons that you're so weak is that you're not able to keep up because you're bogged down. Hey, the other reality is, is sometimes it's because you got extra rules on you. Maybe you're a little legalistic. Maybe you came out of a culture where your parents, man, you come to Jesus and you're like, what that means is this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You're like the Jews, man. You got 613 things to follow, right? Why did God give them all those? To show them that they couldn't do them. And by the way, God gave them 10. (laughs) And then there was all these other things added. 613 laws. You can't keep them all. Maybe that's why you're a weaker brother or sister. Or, and this is the best one, to be honest, maybe you're just new to the Lord. Babies are weak, aren't they? Babies are weak, man. They've got to be picked up and carried around. They've got to be fed. They've got to be cared for. They've got to be loved well. They've got to be nurtured and kept. And, and guys, there is a beauty as a church to having new believers in your midst that are going to spit up all over you. <laughs> And they're going to get crazy, and they're going to do stupid things, and they're going to say silly things, and you're going to be like, ha, 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 hmm. So were once a you. So was I, right? I was that guy that was like, I know Jesus. Woo! And that was it, man. That's all I had. And I walked out with that, and I swore and acted stupid and kept smoking weed for a little while and just did all these dumb things, and yet I also knew Jesus. And so I was like, Jesus is it, yeah, yeah. And then slowly he began saying, like, man, aren't you hot? Like, why don't you take off that underlayer? Why don't you take that stuff off? And then I'm like, oh, man, it's even better without that. Isn't that how we all grow? And so there's a lot of reasons that maybe some of us here are weak. Some of them are something you can fix, and some of it, man, you're just growing, and that's good. So with all that said, let's dig in. Keep Randy in mind. Chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat 
judge him who eats, for God has received him. So Paul starts off this chapter and says, man, hey, receive the one who is weak in the faith. And he makes it clear right from the start. Like I said, he's speaking to those specifically that are within the church and have accepted Jesus as their savior. Listen, someone that has not yet received Jesus as his savior cannot be received as a brother or sister in the Lord. Does that sound harsh? It's not harsh, it's reality, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? You can't be part of the family if you haven't joined the family. It's just the reality of our situation. So what does it mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means to me. If someone's not part of my family, then I hold them to a standard of general courtesy if they're within my home, but they're not held to the standard that my children and my family is held to, are they? Christians, we are too quick a lot of times to be like, oh my gosh, do you see that guy with the pot, on, pot leaf on his shirt? Oh, what is he doing? Man, if they don't know the Lord, why are you holding them to your standard? If they don't know the Lord, they don't know any better. And guess what? If they're new to the Lord, maybe they're like, dude, I haven't had time to go buy new clothes yet or whatever. But like, do you understand that God's growing that out of them? Do you understand that we receive those that are weak? And if they don't know the Lord, then then they can't be received yet anyway. And so if they're here, be glad. Praise the Lord along with all of us. Like, hey, man, keep coming. Keep coming. Keep sitting under and hearing about Jesus because that is the answer. The way, the truth, and the life. He is everything, man. I believe it. But the truth is, you guys, is that if someone's not part of the family, then yeah, there's a level of decorum and general courtesy that I expect, right? I mean, if you're up in my house, I hope that you're not just going to come up and start punching me in the face, right? You guys kind of laugh, but isn't that how the church kind of feels? Like, man, someone walks in and they're punched in the face by some shirt or they're punched in the face by some woman not wearing all the clothes that they, maybe they would wear if they were a believer. But, but the reality is, you guys, do you realize that like God has got all of that? And if they're not that, then you just let them in and let God work on them. We need to hear these things. If you're in my house, I wouldn't expect you to kick holes in my walls. I would expect that you wouldn't do my family any harm. But outside of those general rules of courtesy, the reality is, is I don't really have much concern with how you necessarily act or speak. Just being honest. We have people all the time over at our house that like, man, I completely disagree with. And their language is abhorrent at times. And there might be times that I'm like, you didn't even use that correctly in a sentence. That F word doesn't fit every vocabulary piece. But I'm not going to hold it. Now, listen, if that was some of you guys that I know have been walking with the Lord and you come up and did that, yeah, I'd be like, what? What are you doing? Why are you speaking like that? But I'm not going to hold somebody that doesn't know the Lord to that standard. Why would I? They're not part of my family. The fact is, you guys, we had a lot of people. We had a four-bedroom, five-bedroom house. I don't know, four bedrooms technically, I guess. Uh, house in Idaho. We had a really huge house in Idaho. And, and so we would have people all the time because we had so many bedrooms upstairs and downstairs. And we were basically just Grace and I for a lot of the year. And so we would do this thing where people would need help because in my career field in the Air Force, people would go through divorces or there would be things going on. And so I'd be like, man, come hang out at my house. Just take a break from your wife, like get away from her. Hopefully to save the marriage was always my goal. But I would give them that chance to kind of separate, to spend a little time apart. And they would come and they would live down in our basement. And we had, they had their own bathroom and they even had their own TV. They had own, their own everything if they wanted it. And the reality is, is while they were there, I had no expectation that they were going to come up and sit at dinner table with us. I had no expectation that they were going to join in the prayer and Bible reading that my wife and I do. If they wanted to, Awesome but I wasn't expecting them to. Do you get what I'm getting at? That's a lot of times how we treat people that are outside of the church. We have an expectation that we shouldn't be putting on them because why would we? But let's talk about this. You guys, we also didn't change our family expectation to meet theirs, right? Our expectation in my family stayed because that's our expectation. And if you don't like that, and this might sound rude, but I meant it. Look, man, I'm giving you a free place to stay. If you don't like it and you don't like the food you got here, then you can go elsewhere. I mean, I'm, it's no harm in me, my part. Like, I love you. I'd love for you to stick around here. But if you really hate these things, well, then, man, go find something else. But does all that make sense to you guys? So Paul's telling us, man, we need to be gracious. We need to receive the weak believer. Why? 
not to dispute doubtful things. Those last two words are important, doubtful things. You guys understand that Paul wrote many letters in the New Testament. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is different letters that he wrote to different churches all around that he had planted. And then this one in Romans, which he didn't plant, right? And so here we have all these different places where he was writing. And the reality is in most every book that he wrote, in most every letter that he wrote, he had points of dispute. You guys know that, right? He had points of dispute, but his disputes were this. He was pointing out and trying to correct incorrect doctrine. He was pointing out like, hey, man, you guys are thinking not rightly on this issue, right? To the Corinthians, he talked a lot about spiritual gifts. And he's like, man, you guys are a little bit whacked out here on the spiritual gifts thing, man. You got, it's just a crazy free-for-all that's going on there. And that, that can't be. That shouldn't be. And so he wrote about that to them. So he corrected things that needed correcting, but he did not just pick the little nitnoy things that were not made abundantly clear in Scripture. I need you to hear this. He didn't just pick doubtful things. He picked doctrine to to stand on. So we're not doing, to be honest, we're not doing anybody, a weak believer or anyone else, any favors if we're not pointing out incorrect doctrine. I need you to hear that. Why do I say that? Because here's the deal, you guys. I have talked to plenty, unfortunately, around here in New England especially, professing Christians, people that tell me, man, I go to church every week. Man, I I know who Jesus is. I love Jesus. And they've told me this. And maybe you've heard this too. They tell me that, well, God's gonna actually let everyone into heaven, no matter what you believe. Really? That's not what I read in scripture. That is not correct doctrine. There's no gospel message there. You've eliminated the entire point of this. Literally. And so I always ask people like that. I'm like, well, how do you get around John 14, 6, right? Like, how do you get around Jesus saying, man, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? Like, how do you get around that to get to this idea, this way of doctrine? Because that doctrine does not line up scripturally, so therefore I don't know that you know who Jesus is because that's what Jesus said. So he's either a liar and a lunatic or he is the Lord. And if he's the Lord and he said that he's the only way, that's it. You either believe what he says and accept what he did or you're not in. I didn't set that standard. God did. I challenge him. I'm like, man, here's the truth. Jesus gave us a great deal of detail about a very real place called hell. If everyone's getting in, then what's the point of hell? And why did Jesus spend so much time speaking about it and giving us all of this detail? 19 different times in the Gospels. He speaks about hell in great detail. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You guys, Jesus gave us all this detail. He spoke about it more than any other person in the New Testament. He made it clear that it would be the final destination for those that chose to go their own way instead of accepting the way that God had made. So yeah, there's a time to point out incorrect doctrine in people's lives. I need you to hear that. That's not what I'm saying. But again, hear me on this. If it's someone that doesn't know the Lord, I'm still going to look at them differently than I look at a person that calls themselves a Christian, right? If a person's like, man, I'm trying this whole Buddha thing. I don't know about this guy. I'm eating a lot of food because he was big. Right? If you're that guy, then like, I'm going to talk to you about who Jesus is and tell you, man, I think he's actually the truth, man. I think Buddha was actually a conniving guy that just left his wife and child to die while he went off and found Zen. He wasn't a good man. So I'll give you the end of the story. Like Jesus lived a perfect life and died for us. There's something different here. I'm going to speak to them. But if someone in the, in the church that says they're a Christian says those things, I'm going to be like, dude, what are you talking about? What's going on with you? But I need you to hear this. Those things matter. What are doubtful things then? You guys, there are plenty of things in the Bible that it's just not explicit about. There's a lot in the Bible that is just not very explicitly pointed out. And Paul's addressing here specifically in these first three verses, one that was very popular in that day. Was it wrong or was it right to eat meat that may or may not have been sacrificed to an idol? That was the big issue. That was the big debate. We read about this in in Corinthians. That was another thing that he was talking about. And there, he didn't get on some soapbox or high horse. What did he say? Man, hey, don't ask where it came from and eat it. Or don't eat it. It doesn't matter. It's doubtful. There's nothing scripturally that says specifically, hey man, don't eat that. Now, 
I got to tell you, this still happens in real life today. My wife, we love food. We love all sorts of types of food. And when she worked at a company down in Portsmouth called Medtronic, before it closed, she had these wonderful, amazing people, this one lady that came to our Bible studies all the time that we were allowed to do there. I was leading a Bible study, and she was a Hindu. And so like, there was always, she was always Hindu, right? Yeah, that's what she was. She would always come to these Bible studies, and she didn't believe. And so we would always be like, hey, man, keep coming back, keep coming back. And she would say the wackiest things. But it was awesome. But she made this wonderful Indian dinner one time. It, was, it was, sounded amazing. I would have loved it. And my wife was like, sweet, because she invited everybody from the team, like, hey, come up and have some of this. I made, there's a ton of it. And right when Grace was getting ready to make her plate, she's like, yeah, I sacrificed to this God, so-and-so. And Grace is like, oh, why? Why'd you tell me? And so Grace is like, I can't. I just can't eat it. Why? Because for Grace, that was like, I'm not going to partake in this. And I don't know why you felt the need to point that out to me, but I'm not going to do that now. And she was like, oh, but it's really good. And she's like, I'm sure it is very good. But I, man, there's no other God that I'm going to put above Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm not going to eat this food. Now, what if you would have eaten it? Would have you have been wrong? No, I don't know that you would have been, as long as you did it with a clear conscience. Grace couldn't, and so she didn't. Interestingly, you guys, I want you to notice something, though. The one that is being more legalistic and not eating the meat is the one that Paul is saying is the weaker brother in this case. Did you notice that? Oh, come on. Stepping on toes. Let's read it again. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. It's intriguing. It's very interesting. Why? The truth is, you guys, the interesting thing about this is that typically a very legalistic person is the one that thinks that you're very, very wrong. <laughs> Isn't that true? The most legalistic people are the ones that like, man, you have got it jacked up. I know Jesus better than you will ever know Jesus. I forgot more about Jesus than you will ever know about Jesus. I know everything about who Jesus is. That's how most legalistic people are. Let's talk about some legalistic things. What about Bible translations? 1611 King James only, baby. You guys ever run into those people? Man, there's a church down in Portsmouth. They actually have it on their sign. 1611 King James only. <laughs> All right. What about those people that say, man, it's wrong to have a tattoo? <laughs> Heard that one a few times. The clothes you're wearing are wrong. The clothes you are not wearing are wrong. <laughs> Paul's telling us this. He's telling us this, and this is, this is the truth, you guys. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the weaker brother. It doesn't matter if you're the stronger brother. Receive them. Not to dispute silly things. If they want to dispute silly things with them, you know what you say? I love you. This is permanent, so it's not coming off. Sorry you don't like them. <laughs> love you anyway. I'm getting more. We're not supposed to be disputing with people over silly things, man, like Bible translations. Listen, if there's a translation you read, good, read it. Are there ones that are better than others? Yeah, I have opinions on that. A lot of people do. And they're good to hear. They're opinions, though. I know people that were saved on the New Living Translation. I will never probably ever bring the New Living Translation up here to read to you guys. Why? It's a pretty loose translation. Is it a good one? Yes, because there are people in this church that read it every day. I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to worry about that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's keep reading verse four. Man, I'm running out of time already. What's going on? Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. That is encouraging. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You guys, if you're underliners, I would underline that part. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. 
He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks and give God thanks. So what are we saying here? What's Paul getting at? Paul's asking this great question. Who are you to judge another's servant? Are you that believer's master? Listen, if people have accepted Christ as Lord, then Christ is their master. Jesus is Lord over your life. Amen? If you're here today and you profess Christ as Lord, you should be saying amen with me. Just saying. Is that a little too legalistic? (laughs) You guys, it is God's job, and this is what Paul's saying. It's God's job to guide, to direct, to judge the conduct of every one of his servants. It's God's job to do those things. Now, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we're here to sharpen one another up. We're here to kind of look at each other and say, man, I don't know that that's such a hot idea or that's such a great idea, but we're not meant to be standing in judgment. What does that look like, you guys? Judgment means standing over someone else. It means like standing with your feet on their face and being like, you suck, and this is why. That's judging. Coming alongside someone and being like, bro, I don't know that it's such a good idea that you keep talking to your wife that way. You may die in your sleep. That's loving someone, right? There's a difference. We need to hear this because this message can be quickly twisted. You guys, I love that Paul trusts God so much too that he tells us, man, he says, listen, God If God is their master, God's the one that's going to work it out on them. And they will stand. Why? Because they're going to be standing in his strength. You guys. It changes the way we look at things, doesn't it? I found it to be true in my life. So many things that I used to do, that I used to just walk in open rebellion to God in. And this is after I came to the Lord. I need you guys to hear this. Stuff like that, it's it's gone away. It's It's disappeared out of my life, a lot of it. God has worked it out of my life. And anybody that knows me at all knows that there's still a ton of work to be done in me. There's still a lot of stuff that I have to be working on and that God is working on in me. But I'm talking about there's a lot of things that I can look that lay in a big pile at the cross that stays there. I don't go and grab it up again. I praise God for that. Man, there's still some stinky, nasty trash down there at the bottom that every once in a while I want to go back and grab up again. And thankfully... There's people in this church. There's people that I know. There's, there's ways to watch that stuff to where, guess what? I don't go pick it up a lot of times. Why? Because, man, there's people around me that love me enough to say, man, don't go back and pick that up. I used to have a very foul mouth. God took that away through time. Guess what? Sometimes when I'm really angry at something, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. And it's like the Holy Spirit's like, don't, don't, leave it there. So instead, I say, that's my go-to now. I guess it might be speaking in tongues, not sure. (laughs) But you guys, do you trust that God is going to help you to stand? Do you trust that God is going to work things out in your life? It's easy to look at your own life and be like, yeah, God, thank you, man. You're making me stand. What's hard is when we look at other Christians that maybe aren't as far along or maybe a little weaker in some areas or maybe they're struggling in different things that maybe you don't struggle with. It's hard to look at them and think the same thing, isn't it? But God, this is what Paul's saying, man. Like, let God deal with that. Let God work that out. Now, listen, I need you to hear it again. If a brother or a sister comes to you and says, man, I am really struggling with this. Don't be like, man, God's going to deal with that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. No, come alongside them. Maybe God's going to use you to help them deal with it. Do you get it? We cannot twist this. Do not judge means don't stand on their face and talk down to them. That's what he's saying when he says don't judge. What he's not saying is don't come alongside a brother or a sister and try to help them. What he's not saying is if a brother or sister comes to you and says, man, I am really struggling with alcohol. Man, I am really struggling with gossip and I just, I need help, man. And so if you hear me doing that, would you please stop me? What I'm really struggling with is cussing my brains out. Listen, I was talking to a brother, we're playing a video game last night and he was like, man, I'm doing really good and God's really working this stuff out of me. And then something happened in a video game and he was like, bleep. (laughs) And I was like, bro. And he's like, I know, man. (sighs) Ah. So right then and there, I could have stood on his face and be like, you suck, man. I can't believe you did that. Why'd you do that? But no, instead I came alongside him. I'm like, let's, let's change the word up, dude, at least. Like, let's work on this. Let's let, let's let the Lord take this out of your vocabulary. You hear the difference? 
Now, Paul adds this other thing to the doubtful list. He says this, do you go to church on Saturday or Sunday? What day do you go to church? Oh, no. The Seventh-day Adventists up in here are like, why? No, they're not up in here because they went yesterday. <laughs> Listen, Paul says, man, whatever day you choose, make sure you're fully convinced of your heart that that's the one that God wants you to go to. Listen, if we keep filling up like we are right now, I'm thinking about going to a Friday night service. I've literally had people say, like, well, it's not Sunday. If that's your conviction, man, I want to see you here Sundays. If you're convinced that Friday's okay, come hang out with me on Friday then. Does that make sense? Be fully convinced in your heart. If it's a doubtful thing, then let it be a doubtful thing and let God work it out in your heart because here's the deal, you guys. God is going to be the only one that's ever going to make you stand. The truth is these doubtful things are abundant. And what they are not are abundantly clear in the Bible. So Paul's making it clear in these cases. Listen, we seek wisdom where at first, God's word, we seek wisdom. God, what, what do you want me to do in this situation, Lord? I had to do that with tattoos. You know what I found? One scripture that talks about not marking your body as the pagans do. All of these are Christian tattoos. It tells a story about who Jesus is, and I get to witness to more people because I'm a freaking walking billboard than I would if I didn't have all the tattoos. So yeah, I love these tattoos, and I am fully convicted that they are perfectly fine. Now, if you are not convicted, or if you're not convinced that they are, then do not ever put ink into your body. For your own sake, for your own heart, because you are not fully convinced. Don't do things wishy-washy. Don't let the world tell you what's up. Let God tell you what's up. Does that make sense? How do we get there, though? We, We seek wisdom in God's word. We pray and ask God what he's saying. And then we do it. And whatever we're doing, we do it to the Lord for his glory. That's what Paul's saying, man. If you go on Saturday, go to church for his glory. If you eat meat, eat it for his glory and give him thanks for it. If you don't eat meat and you go to church on Sunday, don't go on Saturday. Go on Sunday because the Lord's convicted you that that's the day to go. If you don't eat meat, don't eat meat to God's glory. And also, remember what we talked about in the beginning, receive one another. (laughs) You guys, if you have a question in your heart about what you're doing, then can I just encourage you? The answer usually is don't do it. And it's not some weird negative rule thing. I've had a lot of people that said like, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I used to like smoking weed a lot. And so like, what if it gets legalized in, in the state? Is that okay? And, and, and I'm like, listen, if you got to sit here and ask all sorts of questions, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit's stirring something inside of you. So guess what the answer is? Don't do it. That's it. Also, we could go one step further. I think there's a lot of biblical evidence that says you shouldn't do it right? The word pharmakia is every time you read the word sorcery in the Bible, that's pharmakia. Why? Because sorcerers would get high and they would do all these things to their bodies meant like smoking things and, you know, breathing things in and drinking things and imbibing things and getting themselves into this weird headspace. Why? So they could see things and do things. And if anyone's ever dropped acid or done any of those things, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That is pharmakia. That's sorcery. You're putting your brain somewhere else. So yes, I think biblically it's pretty clear you shouldn't do those things. The Bible, you guys, gives us directions about some things, but they're not 100% perfectly, easily figured out, is there? Are they? Listen, I'm going to read this to you. It's in, from the Christian Standard Bible, so it's not going to be up there. Ephesians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because these days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. That is not a forbidding of drinking, is it? Paul didn't say, don't drink wine. He said, don't get drunk with wine. This is one of those points where we get hung up on it. And some churches are like, no, you will never drink. And if you drink, you're a sinner and you don't know the Lord. I don't see that scripturally. I don't. But I also need you to hear this. It does forbid getting drunk. And by the way, in the Greek, you know what that means? Getting a buzz. 
talk to a lot of Christians that are like, I only drink until I got a buzz. Well, then you, you got drunk, bro. You're wrong. Like, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're out of your mind. Here's the deal, though. If you're going to try to find a line here, and I, what I mean by that is if your life goal is to say, I really like alcohol. I like it so much that I want to bump right up to that line. I want to figure out where that line is for me. Listen, you're already wrong. Why? Because you guys, you're putting something above God, aren't you? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, if that's the way you're looking at your life, Christian, man, you're looking at it all kinds of backwards. You're looking at it totally backwards. Too often, you guys, we want to know just how much of the world we can have without losing our walk with Jesus. And I think that's a completely backwards way of living, Christian. Paul's explaining here a different way of living. He's saying, man, make the most use of the time that you have here because these days, they're evil. What you do, do to God's glory. Seek God's glory in everything you do, in everything you choose. Do it for God's glory or don't for God's glory. If you have a question in your heart that what you're doing honors God or doesn't, then my, my encouragement to you would be, don't do it. Also, realize that God's going to grow you up through time. Listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. There are things in this world that once were completely acceptable to me. I didn't struggle with them. They were not a problem for me, and alcohol is one of those things. I didn't struggle with alcoholism. My brother struggles with it. My dad struggled with it for years. But for whatever reason, I just, it just wasn't a thing for me. Now, I've got plenty of other addictive things that I struggle with, so I'm not acting like, oh, look at me. Oh, I am so good. I'm a teetotaler. No, what I'm up here saying is that that for me was no big deal. And so I could enjoy a lager with a steak. I could enjoy a glass of red wine in our hot tub in Idaho. I could do those things and walk away from it, and literally the red wine would get mold on it because it took so long to get through. And the beer would sit in the fridge, clear in the back of the thing until the point where we were like, what? Okay, throw it away. I don't even know how old it is. That's the way I treated alcohol. I didn't really think much about it. For other people, man, that's just not the way it is for them. But can I say something? Before my call to ministry, no problem. When God called me to ministry, he made it pretty abundantly clear right then and there, there's no more alcohol for you. For me, that's off limits. I'm not putting that on any one of you guys. I'm telling you, for me, God spoke very specifically to me. When I received my call to ministry before I even had moved to New Hampshire, listen, God told me there's going to be a lot of people that struggle with alcohol in your life. You need to stop. You need not cause a brother to stumble. And so guess what's off limits to me? Alcohol. I'm not going to be some legalistic jerk face and come to you and be like, I cannot believe you went to dinner with me and had an alcoholic beverage. I'll stick to my Diet Coke. Thank you very much. If you start hammering them back, yeah, I'm going to say something. The biggest question I have for all of us is this, you guys. What freedom in your life is more important than the freedom we have to serve our Lord and Savior. What freedom is more important to that? If there is something more important than that, then it's an idol. And at that point, you're wrong, man, because God's word says very specifically, do not put another God before me. So the main point is this. How does everything in your life line up and bring honor and glory to God? According to his word, according to your time in prayer, and according to the Holy Spirit's direction in your life. How does each thing in your life line up with that? That's the question that Paul's kind of asking us to ask ourselves. Verse 7 through 9 says this, For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and, rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. What's Paul saying? He said, man, you are not an island, Christian. You don't live to yourself. Your kids are watching. Your relatives are watching. Your coworkers are watching. What life are you showing them? You're not an island. What we do really has an effect on others. And Christians, we should know this more than any other person in the whole world. Why? Because Jesus came here, lived a life perfectly for us, died and rose again to save our sorry butts. We should know more than anybody that our lives have effects on others. 
Because it's one life that affected ours. It's always important to keep this perspective in your life. We are not just here to walk around in our own freedom to the detriment of other believers around us. And specifically to those around us that don't know the Lord yet. It actually makes me a little frustrated whenever I see Christians doing that. Man, I got the freedom to do all this stuff. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? It matters because it matters, dude. Can I also say this, though? We're also not here to put weight over doubtful things on other believers. If you're convicted about it, don't do it and shut your mouth. If someone says, hey, man, why don't you drink? Tell them. I've talked to people a lot about like, oh, hey, do you care if I have a beer when we go out to dinner? I'm like, no, man, I don't care. Are you going to have one? No, I'm not. And here's why. And sometimes people have been like, man, that's really cool. I like that. And other times they're like, I'm not going to get one either. I'm like, dude, don't not not get one for me. I'm not worried about it. Do you understand? Flip over with me to James chapter 4, verse 17. The reality is, you guys, it's just continuing to drive this point home. James says this in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What's he talking about? He's talking about knowing that God gave you a sense of direction in your life. Exactly what we're talking about here. If God says to you not to do something and you do it, you're sinning. If God tells you not to, yeah. And if God does the opposite of that, (laughs) I can't remember which way I started. Right? If God tells you to do something and you don't do it, you're sinning. That's the reality of it. That's what James is telling us. If God tells you to do something or not to do something and you do it, you're sinning. For you, that might look different in those doubtful things than the other person. For me to drink at this point would be sinful. God's made a clear directive in my life, very distinct, that is very specific for me. For someone else, to sit there and act like you're this and that and this and that and judge another person in it, man, that's, that's wrong. Don't do it, right? Like, you get my point? So when we look at James, man, we see that Paul, or we see James there making the same point that Paul's making. He's saying this whole passage, you guys, is meant for believers. And with believers, what else can we say? What else can we say? What else can we say except, man, Lord, I need your direction. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. Well, too many of us, we don't do that. We end up going this other direction. And we're like, we're just going to do whatever the heck we please because we're covered under God's grace. Again, it's a wrong way of looking at life. And too many Christians do it. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the American church is so stinking anemic. Christian, your identity is only in Christ. Your lives are in him. Your deaths are in him. He is the Lord and your Lord for eternity. If you're here today and you are maybe a little annoyed with this message. I know sometimes, man, I hear different things back. Different people are either courageous enough to tell me to my face that they didn't like it, or sometimes I hear it through the grapevine. But the reality is, you guys, man, I hope that God's word is penetrating all of our hearts, and I actually appreciate it when people are angry because at least they listen. But the truth is, is this. Your life, if you're a Christian, your life is his. It's not yours anyway. You gave it up. If you didn't give it up, then the next question you should be asking yourself is, do you understand what the cross did? Now, that's something we're all learning to grow and walk in. I'm talking about those people that really could give two craps about it, but they think they're just saved and that they're going to be in heaven someday, and they just go live like hell all the time. If that's you, man, come to the fact that Jesus literally lived a perfect life for you and died and rose again for you. I think when you do that, I don't know, man, I can't look at anything and say, man, I've got control here. I've got whatever here. No, I look at Christ and I say, man, my life is yours, Jesus. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're everything to me. And that way of thinking flies in the face to what many Christians today think like. They want their identity and what they do. 
right? I'm a Christian and, or I'll say it this way, I'm a data analyst and a Christian. I'm a person that struggles with alcohol and a Christian. I smoke weed and I'm a Christian. I'm this and I'm a Christian. I'm that and I'm a Christian. You got it all backwards, man. You are not fill in the blank and then you're a Christian. You're called to be a Christian first and then fill in the blank of whatever you're doing to the glory of God. What hobbies y'all got? You're not a disc golfing Christian. You're a Christian who discs golfs to the glory of God. And if anybody knows anything about disc golf, listen, there's plenty of potheads out there doing that. You get to be a light in their lives. You don't get to be like, I'm a, I'm a disc golfer. Yo, let me tell you about Jesus. Come on, man. That's how many Christians live, though. I'm this, and then I'm a Christian. No, you're not. You're a Christian, and you do all this other stuff to the glory of God. Put your hobbies there. Put your life choices there. Put your sexual orientation there. Put your addictions there. Some of that stuff quickly is pointed out, isn't it? Some of that stuff in your life, you're like, I, I, I can't put that there. Not to God's glory. You are a Christian who fill in the blank does something to the glory of God. And the question is, man, does the Holy Spirit convict you or bring questions to your mind of whether you can do that to the glory of God? If he does, then my encouragement to you is stop it. Is it really that important? Got to say something else, though. If you sincerely have no conviction in your heart and it is not laid out clearly here in Scripture that it is wrong, and you can do that to the glory of God, God, then do it. I have tattoos to the glory of God. The question is, though, what is more important in your life than a closer relationship with God? If, if you can answer nothing to that, then you're not going to allow anything to become more important. Amen? Amen. Verse 10, let's finish up. It says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. In light of the fact that every human, you guys, will answer to the Lord, there will be a time when we are all going to have to answer for our lives. Listen, the unbeliever is told clearly through Scripture that there will be an eternal separation from God if they do not accept Christ and the work that he did on the cross, and they're going to be sent to hell. That is clear in Scripture. The believer is also told that there's going to be a time of judgment before the Lord, right? The Bema seat. It's going to look very different. But in light of this, Paul's asking this question, why do we look down and judge our fellow believer about doubtful things? Or let's flip it around. Why do we show contempt for our brother that may be judging us for these doubtful things? The reality is for each person in all of eternity that has accepted the work of Christ in their lives, God's grace is sufficient. I believe that with all my heart. If you've truly accepted that Christ died on the cross and rose again, you are forgiven. You are walking in God's grace. And I have a sticker on the back of my car that I just put on that I love. It says this. It says, dear friend, you don't have enough sin for God to run out of grace. But Christian, when you come to Christ and when you lay all your sin at his feet, past, present, and future, if you're anything like me, from what I observed, is this. I don't want to continue singing, sinning so that God's grace may abound. No, quite the opposite. I'm like, Lord, help me. Clean me up. Scrub me clean. Get rid of the junk in me. What about you? I'm no longer the person that is this and then a Christian. I'm a Christian who's like, man, does that line up? No, God, help me to get rid of that crap. 
God, does that line up? Heck yeah, let's jive in. Let's do that. I want to be a walking inkblot by the time I die. I don't. But the reality is for each person, man, we've got to come to that understanding. We're never to use God's grace as a doormat, but his grace is sufficient. We are also going to be held to account for how we treated God's grace in our lives, you guys. That's the Bema seat. It looks very different. It's when we figure out what haywood and stubble is there and what real jewels are there in our lives. What things we actually did for the Lord and for eternity and what stuff we just did, like disc golf. The coolest part is, is if we're walking as a Christian and we're doing it for God's glory, do you understand that there might even be some little jewels in that disc golf if we start treating it the right way? Does that make sense? What impact is your life having on those around you that God brings you into contact with? Our judgment as Christians is going to look very different from those that did not accept Jesus, but we will stand still before the Lord and give an account for what we've done in this life. Flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of the places that it speaks about this, but chapter 5, verse 9, this is what it's talking about, this Bema seat judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says this. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. You guys, Paul's saying here, man, like, look, yeah, we go and we tell people that don't know the Lord, dude, there is a fiery place waiting for you. There's a separation for you awaiting you. And so, man, come to Jesus, come to salvation, figure that out. Get that part squared away. That is the most important question you will ever have to answer in your entire life because it will be answered for you one way or the other if you don't answer it yourself. But after that point, he's like, man, listen, we're still gonna stand there, so how are you living your life, Christian? What does that look like? Are your hobbies more important than God? Do the things that you enjoy doing, even though you know scripturally they're wrong, do you think that that's more important because that is a God and therefore you're sinning? So the big takeaways from today are this, you guys. We are called to welcome, to receive weak believers. And as I said before, and I got a lot of this from David Guzik. I want to make sure I quote the people that I'm kind of stealing directly from (laughs) sometimes. But the reality is, man, Why can we be weak? Because you're babes in Christ. Or you're walking around in sickness, which in parentheses he put legalism. Or you haven't been well fed. You're not in the word. Are you going to a church that's like, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He doesn't give a crap what you're doing in your life. He loves you. That's wrong teaching, man. He does give a crap what you're doing in your life. He wants you to grow towards him. Pray for me. I'm trying to stop using that word. But when we're welcoming them, when we're, when we're receiving those weak believers, we don't do it to just judge them and fight over stupid, doubtful things. We walk out this life, you guys, doing all things for the glory of God. And if we have a doubt in our hearts about something that is not clearly spelled out in the Bible, then we either stop doing it to bring glory and honor to God, or we do it because we feel like God is being honored and glorified in it, and we do it. Not easy. But here's the deal, knowing that whatever you choose, you're going to have to answer to God for it at the end of your days. And you'll quickly figure out whether that was the Lord or whether it was you. You're not any less in heaven. I need you to hear that. But I'm also not a believer in like, man, by the Lord's grace, I'm just going to be in a shack out there on the back 40 in heaven. I'm going to be out there to do my thing. You guys ever hear that? It's like every country song in the world. No, actually, it's not. It's about beer and, and women and, uh, and, and waters of river, bodies of water. <laughs> my mom likes country music. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Country's horrible. Except Johnny Cash. He's good. Okay. 
Here's the deal, though. The reality is this. I have really bad ADHD. You're doing all things for God's glory, man. The encouragement to us as Christians is this. Are we really seeking to aim at God's glory, or are we just seeking for our own pleasures? I would encourage you guys to ask those questions. I am a Christian, and I do fill in the blank for God's glory. It frees us up from this idea of looking at any other person and being like, I can't believe you would do that to God's glory. I can't believe you would do that. Listen, and again, I need you to hear this. I'm not talking about things that are clearly laid out in Scripture, right? I'm talking about those doubtful things, man. If someone has a beer with you, don't freak on them if you don't feel like it's right to have a beer. Chill out. If someone's come to you and said, man, I'm struggling with alcoholism, and they have a beer, don't freak on them, but love them enough to be like, stop, take it away, don't do that anymore. If someone is struggling with swearing all the time and they start swearing around you, yeah, love them enough to be like, man, let's pick some different words, can we? If they don't know the Lord at all, can I just say, you not swearing in the first place is going to be a huge testimony to them. Right? Do you guys see the difference? Do you hear the nuance in this? Paul doesn't make this. This is not just a simple black and white exercise here, and he's not talking about simple black and white things. He's talking about doubtful things. And so, yeah, as a pastor, I'm here putting this back on y'all. You need to figure this out. What does that look like in your life? What areas maybe are you a little legalistic? I've got plenty. Last week when there was a lot of people missing for Memorial Day and I wasn't out on a boat on Memorial Day, I was a little frustrated. (laughs) And I had to pray through that. And I didn't want to put that on anybody. That's why I even said in the service, listen, man, I know you guys are enjoying your vacation time but it kind of sucks that nobody's here. You get my point? So like, I'm struggling with stuff too, man. I've got to work that stuff out in my own heart. So we're all works in progress. But the reality is if I can say, man, I'm a Christian, Lord, and I'm doing this for your glory, and I can say that with absolute confidence in my heart, then I say, do it to God's glory. If you have a question in your heart, like I do, about being legalistic about who's not here and who's here, (laughs) don't do that. You guys, we're running out of time. We, uh, I'm, for you note-takers, the reality is, man, there is definite biblical uh, directives for us to teach clear scriptural principles, to stand strong in those, to tell another believer, hey, man, you are dead wrong in this area. Second Timothy 4.2, we're not going to turn there. And what we're going to come up on here in Romans. Romans 15.4, both of those are very clearly speaking and saying, man, do not do this. It's wrong. Or do this and you're not doing it. That's wrong. I need you to hear this. Don't walk out of here today and be like, so pastor just said I shouldn't judge anybody and everything's a free-for-all and it's all good. No, if you hear that, you didn't hear anything. Nothing about this life is a free-for-all as a Christian. We have clear direction even in this passage. And what's the clear direction in this passage? If it's a doubtful thing, chill out. Receive your brother. Receive your sister. Know in your own heart your conviction and walk it out. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to come across these sections, Lord, that most pastors just want to avoid. Why? Because it's hard, Lord. (laughs) Lord, the ones that are cut and dry and black and white, they're easier, God. And, but Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't just expect us to be a bunch of automatons just doing your bidding or not doing your bidding. Lord, you're in a, you're in a relationship with us, Lord. You're, you're walking this out with us, God. And just like the marriage, Lord, that you use so often to describe our relationship with you, Lord God, we are figuring it out. You are perfect. We are not You know exactly what the right answer is in everything, Lord, and so often we don't. God, help us. Give us wisdom. Lord, help us to be people of your word, Lord, so that we do not walk in open rebellion and sin because we've never even read it in Scripture, God. Lord, help us not to be people like that. Also, Lord, help us to just come to your word and trust God, that you wrote it to us and that that's what we should receive and our lives should be transformed to it, not us transforming it to make it make sense to us. 
And so God, I don't know what doubtful things are here in this, this room right now, Lord. What, what things in this room people are struggling with, Lord, that they may not quite understand exactly what your word says about it. Lord, I pray, Father, would you help them to not uh, go to one side or the other. Lord, to not legalistically just cut everything out of their lives, Lord, that maybe some things you're saying, it's fine, you can do that. Lord, also, I just pray, Father, for a heart that doesn't just say, I'm going to do whatever the heck I please, to the detriment of us following you, Holy Spirit. God, help us. We need you. We can't do this on our own. We never could. God, I pray if there be anyone here that doesn't know you yet, God. Holy Spirit, just as much as you are guiding and directing us, Lord, your word says clearly that you're wooing everyone that doesn't know you to yourself. That you're wooing everyone to the Father. So God, I pray if that be anyone here today, Lord, that they would not walk out of here continuing down the path that they're on, God. Lord, I pray, Father, that, that, that people, Lord, that maybe will listen to this later, Lord God, or will uh, watch it later, whatever, Lord God, Father, that they would understand, Lord, that it's not some magic formula. It's literally accepting the work that you did, Jesus, on the cross, receiving that forgiveness, that grace that only you give. You paid for it. God, it's a repentance. It's a recognition that we're screwed up people and we do screwed up things. We sin. Help us all, Lord God. We want to see you move. We want to see real change in this area, Lord, and that starts with us. It starts right here. So God, have your way. Move in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.